Good morning. Welcome to our Christmas service. <laughs> Those will make sense later, I promise. Uh, <laughs> it's great to have you all here and to take some time to just uh, open up a, a psalm as we've been doing so far in this summer. We're just going through different psalms, different types of psalm. Uh, here today, we're going to look at a psalm called Psalm 40 uh, and uh, dig into it in a little bit. And it's a psalm of celebration. It's a psalm that uh, helps us to understand who God is and why he deserves praise and honor and celebration. Uh, and this got me thinking. Actually, you know what? First, real quick disclaimer. There's a lot of kids in the room, and I'm really excited that you're here with us, kids. Uh, a couple of things. If I say a word that is really big or like bible you can ask me after service what that means. I will try my best not to do that, but I'm old and kind of nerdy, so I use those words sometimes. And if you have any questions about anything I say, please ask me afterwards. I'd love to talk to you about it. And, and if you've got really young kids with us today and they make a squeak or a squeal, I'm not going to be upset. I'm just glad that they're here and that you're here. But with that, I want to talk about... Um, celebration, and this got me thinking about the ways different people celebrate things. And so I went Googling, and I wanted to see the, some of the more interesting celebrations that take place around the world. And so I found three that I wanted to highlight today, three interesting celebrations. One comes from Spain, and it's the baby jumping festival. Yes, they lay the babies down, and these, these people dress up as some sort of character, and they jump over the babies. And this used to be a, a, a kind of a spiritual ritual that took place where they were uh, jumping over the babies in order to ward off evil spirits and have good luck. And now it's kind of turned into a way to celebrate and bless babies. But the fact that there is a baby jumping festival is awesome. I guess. I don't know. Maybe it's not. Um, <laughs> my next one comes from Italy, and it is the Battle of the Oranges. And there are enough... There are enough orange trees in Fremont. I think we could pull this off if we really wanted to. Um, the Battle of the Oranges is, is, it, it happens in Italy, and it's a recre re recreating the battles between the locals of this region of Italy and Napoleon's troops when they invaded. They throw, and I did not make this up, I double-checked, 1.3 million pounds of oranges at each other to recreate these battles. It's pretty awesome. Last, this is my favorite of all. This is the Cheese Rolling Festival. <laughs> Maybe you have seen this before, and it is the greatest festival on planet Earth. These people chase a nine-pound wheel of cheese down a steep hill. And the way it used to work is the first person to catch the cheese gets to keep the cheese, but then people were getting a little overzealous because a nine-pound wheel of cheese on that steep hill gets moving and people were breaking ankles and getting concussions and they're like, maybe let's chill a little bit. And so they have a finish line now where the first person to the finish line gets to keep the wheel of cheese. Awesome. I kind of want to do it. That's how much I love cheese. I really think, I think I would do it. <laughs> and these are just a few uh, celebrations that are, are strange and weird around the world, but uh, and we might laugh at them if we're outside of that culture, but people might laugh at our traditions and celebrations if they're looking into our cultures. And celebration is a part of every culture. There, there are ways to celebrate history, um, the things that, important uh, milestones, to celebrate our community. And, and they often help provide a rhythm of life that's healthy and more balanced. Sometimes it's okay to pause from what we're doing and celebrate, to remember 
and to get perspective on life. Today, our psalm falls into this genre of, of category of psalms that's called the Thanksgiving psalms, and they're meant to be sung. These are songs that are meant to be sung and celebrate what God has done for his people. The psalms are a big book in the Old Testament, and they were the song book and prayer book of the people of Israel. These psalms, uh, this Thanksgiving psalms speak to an event where God intervened in the life of his people. He rescued them from circumstances, disaster, or enemy. And today in Psalm 40, I want to take a look and spend some time about how it might spur us on to celebration in our own lives. So if you have a Bible, you can open it up to Psalm 40. That's kind of like right in the middle of your Bible. You can pull it up on your phone, or we'll have the words on the screen as well. This is a Psalm of David, and this is what David writes. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in him. Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, who does not look to the proud, to those who turn aside to false gods. Many, Lord my God, are the wonders you have done and the things you planned for us. None can compare to you. Were I to speak and tell of your deeds, they would be too many to declare. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but my ears you have opened. Burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not require. Then I said, here I am, I have come. It is written about me in the scroll. I desire to do your will, my God. Your law is within my heart. I proclaim your saving acts in the great assembly. I do not seal my lips, Lord, as you know. I do not hide your righteousness in my heart. I speak of your faithfulness and your saving help. I do not conceal your love and your faithfulness from the great assembly. Now, I just did the first 10 verses of Psalm 40. Uh, the rest of it uh, is a little bit different, takes a different tone and a different type of psalm that we're going to cover throughout this series. I just wanted to focus on this part, this Thanksgiving and celebration portion of the first 10 verses. There are a lot of different details that we can pick apart in this psalm, but generally speaking, the, this passage starts with the, the beginning saying, uh, God, I remember your rescue, the things that you've done for me. And then ends with the psalmist committing to repeat the story, to not keep it to himself. He's celebrating and he commits to keep celebrating. This psalm, if, if you've got your paper Bible, probably has this heading. It says a song by David or a song of David. Uh, and he was the most famous king in Israel's history. And he wrote a good portion of these psalms. Um, but it's written for the director of music. It's a song to be sung when the people come together to be reminded of what God has done. They're to sing it again and again so that they won't forget. And that is a big part of, of the Thanksgiving Psalms. That's a big part of celebration as a community, is remembering. An important thing that this song, psalm wants us to do is to remember. God knows how easily we forget, how easily we get distracted, how caught up in other things we can be. And God knows that when we forget and become distracted, we drift away from him. And so celebration is a very important part of the culture that the Bible was trying to build amongst the people of Israel. In the Old Testament, there are seven extremely important feasts and festivals that God called the people of Israel to observe. And we're not talking about the way we celebrate. Here's how we do it. All right, you get maybe a half day for Christmas Eve. You get a full day Christmas Day. 
and then uh, get back to work on the 26th, right? Like there's, there's like a bam, bam, and back to work, right? No, these were seven-day feasts, which sounds awesome, especially if there's cheese involved that's rolled down a hill. Seven-day feasts. God didn't just say, hey, take a half day and pray a little bit. He said, no, take an entire week. Why? Because he wanted our rhythm of life to be interrupted enough that he could recapture our imagination and our attention. He wanted us to pause and to really think and reflect and remember. Don't just say, yeah, yeah, thanks, Lord, and then move on. Let's celebrate. Let's sing. Let's feast. And so, for example, you had a Passover called, uh, a celebration called Passover, which if you read the New Testament or Old Testament book of Exodus, is to remind the people of Israel of when Moses led them out of slavery in Egypt by passing over them, uh, God's judgment passing over them. And so for Passover, God is saying, don't forget, I am the one who rescued you. I am the one who has the power to care for you in your time of need. To, to, to provide for you and to protect you. But he also wants to remind them, and if you drift away from me, if you forget me, it's not going to go well for you. And so in this psalm, David is remembering a time when God saved him. Look at verse uh, 1 through 3. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and he heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in, in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God, and many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in him. And I love this passage because for me in my story, I can relate to this. I can think of many times in my life where I was lost and without hope. If you were here last week, you heard about a season of my life that I felt totally helpless and God carried me and my family through it. Um, and, and there were many times where, where God heard my cry and he listened to my prayer and he rescued me. And specifically when I read this psalm, I actually think of the time where I first put my faith in Jesus. Uh, maybe you've heard Christians use the word saved to describe uh, the experience that, that I've been saved, right? Uh, to describe this experience that the psalmist is, is trying to, to, to let us know about it, provide some context. So I think of my own story and it says, I waited patiently for the Lord. It's actually the other way around. The Lord was patient with me. I was a mess. I was running far from God, and yet he waited patiently for me. He heard my cry. I can, I can relate to that. There was a time, a point where I could not run away from God any longer. The amount of guilt I was carrying around by the way I was causing uh, just hurt and pain in other people's lives and the mess I had made in my own life, I just I cried out, God, I can't do this anymore. I need you to rescue me. If you can rescue me, if you can change me, follow you for the rest of my life. Talks about the slimy pit, the mud and the mire. That was my life. It was a mess of my own doing, my rebelliousness, my selfishness, the brokenness that came from all of that, the, the lack of purpose I had in my life. It was like being in a pit and I made it for myself. He set my feet on a rock. He gave me a firm place. God gave me something I could trust in. Everything else in my life felt like untrustworthy. It felt like if I put too much stock in this, I'm going to be let down. Even on myself, even on my ability to try to pull myself out of this, I couldn't trust. I tried and I tried again and it just wasn't happening. I didn't have the power to do it, but God put me on a firm foundation. He gave me a place that I could stand, something I could truly trust in. He put a new song in my mouth. 
This is one of the most powerful parts about my story, the thing that I go back to over and over again. I am not, in my nature, a good person. He changed me. I did not have within myself the power to change and become a new person. He had the power to do that. He changed my outlook in life. He changed my understanding of what was really going on in the world around me, and he gave me a purpose, something to live for that I I didn't have before. I was grasping for it in all these different areas of my life, but coming up empty-handed, and he gave me a purpose. He gave me something to live for. And so this is a really brief version of my story, but this is what it means that Jesus saved me. He forgave me of my sins and gave me a new life, and I never want to forget that. As dark and as slimy as the pit I was in, I don't want to forget that he's the one who rescued me and pulled me out of it. And he'll do it again when I find myself in a mess. It's all because of what Jesus has done for me. And if you have a story about how Jesus saved you, no matter how mundane you think it is or no matter how long ago that story took place, never stop celebrating it. When you take communion, don't forget what Jesus has done for you and celebrate it. Every time we sing these songs, you call my name and I ran out of that grave. I have new life. Don't forget what he's done for you. Don't let it become old. Don't let it become routine. Remembering was a huge part of of the praise songs that they sang, especially in this one, remembering what God has done for you. But that remembering ultimately was was meant to lead the people to trust. Last week I talked about Psalm 62, a psalm about trusting and confidence in the Lord, and we remember and celebrate what God has done in the past. It helps us to trust in our present circumstances that he will show up for us. But the people of Israel, they constantly had two patterns of behavior that they would go to. When they drifted away from the Lord, it was always in two key ways. And it was this. Throughout the Old Testament, we see it over and over again. The people of Israel would go to idol worship, worshiping false gods, and to injustice. And we see it in these verses, actually, if you, if you read closely. Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, this is verse 4, who does not look to the proud, to those who turn aside to false gods. Many, Lord my God, are the wonders you have done, the things you have planned for us. None can compare with you. Were I to speak and tell of your deeds, they would be too many to declare. So the psalmist is saying, I don't want to turn and worship false gods because you're the one who rescued me. And though I'm tempted all the time for my, for my attention to stray elsewhere, I want to focus on you. The people of Israel were constantly tempted to worship the gods of the nations that were surrounding them. And the modern translation of what they were interested in was, well, those people have cooler stuff than we do. I want some of that. Those people have more military might than we do. What are we going to do if they attack us? And wouldn't it be nice if we were just as strong as them? And so what they would do is they would kind of just add those gods into the mix just in case, a little covering, a little, hey, let's get a little bit of that blessing over here so we can be as good as this other nation. Often in the Old Testament, God is referred to as a jealous God. He, he, he said, I refuse to put up with idol worship in the people of Israel. But his primary concern wasn't his ego. And I think that's important to remember. The psalmist points out that David is making the claim that God and God alone can deliver his promises. It's God who pulls us out of the slimy pit. pit. David's saying, not the God of the Canaanites, our next door neighbors. Those gods were invented by humans and they have no power to protect or provide for you. 
But idol worship can take on all kinds of forms that don't actually seem spiritual on the surface. And this is more in our American context what I would like to kind of focus on today. We have idols in our world all around us that we don't see as idols. Money. For young people, sometimes academic achievement can become an idol. Success in the workplace, a promotion, a title can become an idol. Material things can become an idol. And I could go on and on and on. These things are all around us. And none of these things are inherently bad. And that's what's so tricky about these idols. But what if they become our obsessions? What if they become our objects of worship, not because we sing songs about them in a room like this, but because they take center stage in our lives? We begin to neglect every other important aspect of our life because we're giving our attention and time and energy to these things. And people in relationships, they end up getting hurt because we're so laser-focused. And often we live as the end justifies the means, and so we don't think about who might get hurt in the process or how this might not actually be the healthiest thing for me. And the worst part of it is these things don't deliver on their promises. That thing that you buy is not going to make you not want to buy the next thing. If you're a young person, I want to put this in an example maybe that uh, you'll find helpful. Maybe you feel the, pre- the pressure to perform academically that is a nonstop burden on you and it makes you feel anxious and depressed. Or maybe it's an extracurricular activity that you feel like you have to perfect I'm actually here this morning to tell you that Jesus doesn't want that for you. He wants you to be free of that. I mean, sure, getting good grades matters because it gives you options to potentially pursue something that gives you meaning and purpose. But my wife, my own wife knows this. We went to high school together, so I watched what this did to her. She was a perfectionist. An A minus was not good enough. Only an A would do. We would be in the same class. We would take a test. She would say, i sure I failed the test. She would get a 96% on the test, right? And there's some funny that, but her anxiety was out of control. She was not living. She was alive, but she was a shell of who God made her to be. She made academic success an idol in her life. Guess how many people ask my wife what her GPA in high school was now? Zero people, Right? And thankfully, she's been freed from that kind of anxiety, and God has worked that in her life and helped her have a bigger vision of what life is all about. But young people, I'm here to tell you, I don't think that's what God wants for you, to feel that way and to live life experiencing that. And before you parents start throwing tomatoes at me, I'm not saying that grades don't matter. I'm not saying that careers don't matter. I'm just saying that those things don't matter the most. Idol worship is when we get our priorities out of whack. And Jesus says that the most important priorities in this life are to love God and to love other people. It's about relationships. So, yeah, get good grades. That's awesome. Pursue that career. That's fine. But not at the expense of experiencing, experiencing true life that comes from the closeness with God and, and the rich relationships that we can have with others. So David is saying, just make sure you put your trust in the right things. Don't worship the false gods that are tempting you. Trust in God, love him, love others, and you will find a fulfilling life. The other thing that that the people of Israel constantly went to is injustice. When they got too comfortable away from God and they thought they had it all figured out, they started just turning their back on the poor, 
Oppression was just running rampant. Uh, no one was caring for, for the folks who couldn't defend themselves. This is what it says in verse 6. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but my ears you have opened. Burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not require. And then I said, here I am. I have come. It is written about me in the scroll. I desire to do your will, my God. Your law is within my heart. David is, is commenting on the, something the prophets of the Old Testament regularly chastised the people of Israel. They would show up to the temple with their money and their sacrifices, and then they would go back to their way of life that was just causing oppression to run rampant through the land. And over and over, the prophets would say, no, God is calling you to care for widows and orphans and immigrants, the people who are the most at risk. And they weren't just making this stuff up. This comes from the first five books of the Old Testament called uh, the Pentateuch, the, the, the first five books of the Bible, the law. These books describe ancient times, so sometimes it can be hard to understand or interpret for our day. But when you dig into it, you see that these laws were all about loving God and loving others. Tons of laws about ordering our lives around loving our neighbors and making sure everyone was provided for and protected, making sure people aren't oppressed, abused, take advantage of. Real quick, ad break. One practical way to do that is we have a number of Afghan refugees coming into our community, and we have the privilege as a, as a church um, to have partnered with some folks that, that are helping them in really tangible ways. And so maybe uh, this morning God is putting it on your heart to serve Afghan refugee families. And, uh, and Gary Louis said, and also you'll get some good exercise out of this. Uh, because, or maybe you have a large truck or a van. We, we want to put a team of people together to help deliver donated furniture. Um, and, and other household items to these folks who are coming here, our new neighbors. This is how we can tangibly love them. And so if you're interested in being on a, a list of people who, who can uh, be on call to participate in these kinds of things, please uh, contact Ruth Ritter. Ruth, if you can get your hand up. There she is. Uh, if you're online and you can't see Ruth, we'll get you hooked up. Just email me. And then Gary, are you in here? He's not in here. All right, uh, find Gary Louie uh, after the service. One of those two, and, and let them know you're interested in helping because uh, this is exactly what Jesus has in mind for us when he says, love your neighbor as yourself. And so I would love for you guys to, to take advantage of that opportunity to serve and live that out. But this is what David is talking about too. I desire to you to do your will, my God. Your law is within my heart. He's saying, God, I trust you. I trust that your ways are right. I trust that I don't have to take matters into my own hands and pursue my own provision and protection by any means necessary. I trust you that as I do what's right, as I love you and I seek to proactively love my neighbor, I trust that you will give me everything that I need. And so lastly, according to David, celebration leads to proclamation. And maybe that's one of those big churchy words, kids. I'll tell you what that means in a minute. But he says this, I proclaim your saving acts in the great assembly. I do not seal my lips, Lord. I do not hide your righteousness in my heart. I speak of your faithfulness and your saving help. I do not conceal your love and your faithfulness from the great assembly. David's saying, I've got a story to tell. Look at what God has done for me. What if he wants to do that for somebody else? I can't keep this to myself. I won't hide this. I want to tell people far and wide about who God is and what he's done. When we have a story to tell, it is good news that other people might need to hear. And so we tell it. We tell our stories. 
you know, part of understanding the Psalms, part of even understanding the gospel, which is just a translation of good news, is what is our view of God? Some people imagine that God is up in the sky and he's angry all the time and he's looking for reasons to strike you with a lightning bolt. And uh, if you're lucky, maybe he'll look upon you with favor. And that leads to a misrepresentation of good news in my mind. So I've heard people preach a gospel that sounds a little bit like this, and I'm characterizing, but I've got the microphone. So uh, They misrepresent the gospel by, by thinking that God's default posture is that he hates you because you're a sinner. You're doomed to eternal fires of hell unless you put your faith in Jesus. And if you do that, you put your faith in Jesus, then God won't hate you anymore. That is ultimately what people hear when certain uh, gospels are presented. But if you read the whole story of Scripture, that gospel doesn't make sense, and I don't think it's the good news, actually, after all. Here's a different viewpoint. A viewpoint that starts with God's default posture towards us is love. Love. Scriptures start telling us by he created us and he said it was very good. That's his default posture towards us is that he loves us. And I think the story of the Bible and a better characterization of good news is this. God loves you. No matter how far you run from him, he will chase after you. He will not give up on you. He wants you to experience new life and abundant life, which comes from knowing him. He wants to give you real purpose and true fulfillment, which comes from knowing him. The Bible tells us that he loves us so much that he became human he be in the person of Jesus. He experienced every bit of what it means to be human, the jo joys, the sorrow, the rejection, the pain. He experienced death. He lived a perfect life connected to God, just like we were meant to. And even though he never sinned, he never rebelled, he was killed. He died and took the consequences for all of the sin of all of humanity for all of time. And the best part is, he rose again from the dead. He defeated the greatest enemies that humanity has faced, sin and death, and he invites us into that new life by putting our faith and our trust in him. By saying, yes, I believe. I believe that Jesus' life, death, and resurrection are enough for me to have a new life and to have eternal life. And so now I'm going to live for him now. I think that's the good news we're invited to participate in. I think that's good news that maybe our neighbors need to hear. And maybe you need to hear this morning. That this is how God looks to you. And this is what he wants for you. And he will stop at nothing to pursue you and show you his love. Christians, in this room today, can you tell this story in a way that doesn't scream, I'm right, you're wrong, believe what I believe or burn? I know that you can. I haven't heard you guys say that. But I've just heard enough of that in my life that I just don't want to hear it anymore. I want to hear the, the real good news. Instead, can we proclaim it in a way that says, look, here's what God has done for me. Here's my story. Look at how he's rescued me. Can you believe it? What if God wants to do something like this in your life too? So with that, I want to say this. Have you ever put your trust in Jesus like the psalmist has? Have you recognized that true life comes from him? I want to invite you to take a step closer. Um, 
I want to invite you to take a step closer. Whatever that step looks like, you may be very far away from Jesus and you're like, all right, I'll dip my toe in the water. I'll hear more, right? Or maybe you've been on this journey with God for some time and you've never put your trust in him, but you've been, you've been dipping your toe in the water and maybe you're knee deep now and you're ready to dive head first because God is tapping you on the shoulder now. And I just want to say this morning, put your trust in Jesus. Reach out to him. Tell him that you believe that what he did in his life, his death and resurrection are enough for you to have true, abundant, and eternal life. If you just want to take a step closer and dip your toe in the water, this is a place to do that. Let me just say that. We, we want to build friendships here where we're not going to try to twist your arm and make you believe what we believe. But we're going to share our story. And we're going to open up God's word together and say, what do you think this is saying? Let's talk about it. And we'd invite you to become a part of our community just to take that next step. The last thing I want to do together before we get our Pokemon on <laughs> is I want to just celebrate together. We've seen this psalm of celebration, and many of us have stories of celebration. I want to invite the band to come on stage right now. We have stories that deserve to be celebrated here today. And so we're going to celebrate through song, but I also want to say, hey, maybe you need prayer today, and so we're going to have our ministry of prayer team and, and any elders that are available um, just be up at the front of the room to pray with you. Maybe you want to pray to put your trust in Jesus for the first time. Maybe you've got something going on in your life where you need God's hand of rescue right now. Maybe you've got something to celebrate and you just want somebody to pray about it with you. But as we sing these songs, celebrate. Don't forget what God has done for you if you've got a story to tell. Give him thanks. Don't let it become old. Celebrate it. And then think about who needs to hear that story. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we uh, are so thankful for the good news that you love us, that you rescue us, that you show up for us in our time of need. Jesus, thank you that you took on all our pain and our suffering to demonstrate that love. We couldn't do it, but you could. And this morning, Lord, for each one of us, May we take a step closer to you, whether, whether that's just a tiny little tiptoe forward or whether that's a giant leap. God, we want to draw close to you. Help us to meet with you this morning as we celebrate your love and the fact that you fulfill our promises and you are enough. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.